This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay on Wednesday the 28th of September. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. And our top story today is that we've been told how some children in Thanet are being forced to sleep on the floor because their parents simply can't afford to buy them a bed. The Thanet Iceberg Project has just been given funding to provide furniture to low-income families. £5,000 from the Kent Community Foundation will enable them to give away 30 five beds. The cost of living crisis, people escaping domestic abuse and breakups during the pandemic are said to be some of the reasons why children are going without. Well, I've been speaking to Rourke, who's the chief exec of the Thanet Iceberg Project. There's actually a real issue across Thanet with children just not having suitable bedding, either being in a bed with their siblings or being in their beds with their parents. Uh, We had one case where it was a 14-year-old boy who was top and tailing with his mum. Or you've got people on settees or big chairs. Just, it's a real problem. And, And I think having a good bed is the the foundation really to everything else in life we we talk about our educational policies and we talk about our youth crime policies and all the rest of it but it all stems down to if a child can go to a bedroom and get into bed and have a proper night's sleep then everything surely follows from that we all know what how much of a difference to the day a good night's sleep makes and and presumably Mm. those children if they if they're going to school and they've had a bad night's sleep perhaps even sleeping on a floor i mean they're not really going to be learning as well as they could do no they're not and we we have children sleeping on if not floors then they're on cushions on floors when we provide a bed we also provide bedding because we we've seen children that are sleeping under coats um and just a variety of of anything soft that they can make a, a cover out of so we go right down to a sheet, a pillow, pillowcase, duvet, duvet cover. You know, we, we really try to give the children everything that they need to, to give them a what you would have thought was just a, a, an everyday occurrence, but apparently is a bit of a luxury, which is a proper night's sleep in a bed. It must be heartbreaking for you to hear about and see those those situations and see what young people are having to cope with. We delivered beds and a little girl was bouncing around. Oh, yeah, I got a bed. I got a bed. I, I, you know, it's a bed. I'm not, I'm not giving them a car. I'm not, it's not a holiday. It's a bed. And they are so excited. And I, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's genuinely heartbreaking. Now, tell us about how much money you've got and how many beds you're going to be able to provide because of that. The Off the Fall project is a bit of an ongoing project. So the money that we 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 won through our bid through KCF and the Albert Burns Trust, that, that funded about 30, 35 beds. And uh, TDC have also funded um, up to 100 beds and we're working our way through those at the moment. And then we've got some local organisations who have also pitched in to, to, to ensure that we are able to just continue 
making the beds and buying the mattresses. It's fantastic that you're able to provide so much help. How do people get in contact with you and say that that they're in desperate need? I mean, how are you hearing about all of these people? I would say a, a large proportion of our referrals come from social services or they come from schools liaison, family liaison officers. Um, we are approached by the women's refuges, uh, youth justice services. DWP will send people to us. Um, probably about 90% of our referrals come in like that. So they are, as it were, predefined as people that are in need because someone is already working with them. However, that doesn't exclude people from phoning us up and saying, look, you know, we've got a problem. And, and, and actually, social media is really good for this. So someone will go on Facebook or, or, or Instagram with an issue. And, and so many times a day, my phone pings. And when I look at it, it's because I'm being cut into a, a, a message chain that's saying, look, you know, go and speak to these people. So the word is out there and, and, and people do find I'm sure many don't, but enough do that we're, we're we're able to keep keep out of mischief. We are seeing people hitting points of need that haven't traditionally in the past been the type, if there is a type of person that that needs help. And a lot of people are embarrassed about coming forward and feel in some way that it's a judgment upon them the fact that they need to come and get help and, and and my plea would be that if you need help please get in touch because there is no stigma there is no judgment we have people that we have recently helped who last year were actually donors of the project so we have seen people go from having spare resources where they've donated to us and are now becoming our customers so it can happen to everybody or anybody and it is and 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 i would really ask that you don't struggle because you're embarrassed or you don't want the charity just if you need it come and see us Let's see how we can work with you. Well, thanks ever so much to Rourke for chatting to us and telling us about the situation there. If you are in need of help, you're being urged to get in touch with the Thanet Iceberg Project. You can go to their website, which is thaneticeberg.org.uk. They're also in need of volunteers as well to help deliver some of the furniture. Again, you can get in touch via their website. Kent Online News. We've got some crime news for you now. And a Kent man's gone on trial accused of trying to murder a man he's sexually assaulted. A court's been told Abdul Malik invited the victim to his home on Dimchurch High Street before attacking him in January. The victim was left with 12 stab wounds. 29-year-old Malik denies the charges and the trial continues. A Ramsgate man who repeatedly stabbed his neighbour's door while threatening to kill him has been jailed. Howard Harris armed himself with a kitchen knife and tried to get into the victim's home on Wellington Street last October after being asked to turn down his music. The 30-year-old has been held on remand for the last 10 months and has been given an extended five-year sentence. A Swanscombe man's appeared in court charged with several offences, including kidnap and sexual assault. He's accused of following a woman along Gravesend High Street before attacking her and trying to force her into his car. The 34-year-old is due at Crown Court towards the end of October. And cocaine and cannabis has been seized from four pubs and a man's been arrested in Medway. Officers recovered the drugs after raiding a seven 
sites in Gillingham, Twiddle and Strood. Next today, Kent Mum is demanding action to tackle a rat infestation at her block of council flats. Marilyn Nolan says she's seen, would you believe, eight of the rodents in one day at her home in Queen's Rise in Ringwald, which is near Deal. She says calling out pest control is just too expensive and she wants the council to either do something about it or move her somewhere else. Marilyn says the problem has been going on for two years now and she's been speaking to our reporter Sam Lennon. They're coming in all over the place in every single room and they're not small rats, they are big fat ones. Um, None of us can sleep because of the scratching that they make the that they're doing and the noise they make and they launch yourself if if you go if you open the door and you find one on the landing like we have done I know that they say rats are more scared of you than you are of them but they literally launch themselves at you there was a close shave once wasn't there where, where oh, 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 your son and your neighbours had killed one with a, a crutch and a baseball bat yeah tell us about that I didn't see that. I was stuck in the bedroom. Apparently the neighbour um, got called and he came over with his baseball bat and it was outside Bernard's bedroom, my son's bedroom door, and he opened the door. To, well, he wanted a toilet. He opened the door and he couldn't get out because the rat wouldn't move. When it finally moved, it went down the stairs and by then the neighbour had entered the property yeah, I gave him permission to, and he went, he, he's standing there, he opened the front door, the rat ran under the door, and then the, I assume he went to hit it with a baseball bat but missed, and then it ran out down the staircase outside our front door, and I didn't see that because I was still stuck in the bedroom, and apparently... The rat tried going up the second staircase in the block towards his flat. God knows what he would be like if he saw one. You know, I'm not well. I had major surgery in January for gallstones. I'm trying still to recover. I don't need all this vermin in my house. And when I contact the council to ask them for advice or ask them to do anything, they don't want to know. All they've told me is... To contact environmental health and environmental health will come out put poison down but they will charge the tenants 165 pounds to come out there is a guy from dover district council he comes out and baits out the back but it's not good enough the infestation has got worse so there's two choices for the council yeah i either want I know that it, we live near a field and it is impossible to get rid of them. I either want something done where they stop coming in, like, in, in the house so we can live peacefully because they've taken over my, my masonette and it doesn't feel like home anymore, or I want to move. I am already on the Kent home choice to be moved anyway, but they keep telling me that there's nothing other than sending out environmental health that they can do. They're just not interested, even if you're ill and you're disabled, 
they're not interested. Well, this is what the council have had to say to us. We're sorry to hear about this tenant's ongoing problems with vermin. We have already undertaken works at the property, including baiting and blocking areas at ground level where rats could be gaining access to the property. We are undertaking further urgent investigations. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. Now, this is one of our most read stories today. Eurostar's outgoing chief exec has explained how the pandemic, Brexit and soaring inflation has stopped them from restarting services in Kent. The company previously announced its international trains may not run from Ashford and Ebbsfleet stations again until at least 2025. Well, Jacques Demas says increased border friction and high costs make it impossible for the services to be financially viable. Meantime, Southeastern have announced a new timetable will come into force in December to reflect changes in the way we're all travelling right now. There'll be a new high-speed service from Maidstone East to Charing Cross and more trains on the Ashford line during the morning peak. First-class carriages are also being removed to make more space for other passengers. Now, we've heard a lot about the cost of living crisis and how it's been impacting on businesses in Kent, with quite a few of them struggling. So it's actually nice to hear a bit of positive news today. The boss of Britain's oldest brewery, which is based in Faversham, has revealed how they've bounced back after the pandemic. Shepherd Neem have released annual figures today and I've been speaking to Chief Executive Jonathan Neem. Our revenues are now above where we were in 2019. Our debt levels are below where we were in 2018. Uh, Our profit hasn't quite recovered. So there are plenty of inflationary challenges uh, that we face. But overall, it's a pretty good uh, recovery for the business. We're back investing. We're back uh, able to pay a dividend to shareholders. Uh, We're recruiting. Um, So we're doing all the sort of normal things that you'd expect a business to be able to do. Not quite at the same level as before, but certainly with a degree of positivity and optimism about the future. I know we've spoken over the past couple of years when it has been particularly tricky and you've not known what the future will hold. Are you able to breathe a bit of a sigh of relief today? I think in terms of the COVID uh, issues, yes. I think hopefully uh, COVID is well and truly in the rearview mirror now. Uh, I think we're still optimistic about certain things that we've not enjoyed for several years. For example, Christmas, which is a very big trading part uh, for the hospitality sector. Um, We haven't really had any sort of winter trade, come to think of it, because there's been concerns about COVID in all of the previous winters. So, uh, you know, in that respect, what we're seeing at the moment is a progressive back to work uh, or back to the office. Uh, We're seeing businesses uh, willing to uh, encourage people to sort of socialise together. So we get some benefit from that. Um, and notwithstanding concerns people may have in terms of their personal finances, uh, you know, the trade over the summer has been really pretty encouraging as people have chosen to go and socialise in a pub uh, rather than do other things. While COVID might be hopefully in the past, there is, of course, this huge cost of living crisis at the moment. Are you starting to feel any impact from that at all? Up until the last few weeks, honestly, no. Um, we have seen really quite buoyant trade uh, over the summer. Um, And of course, people do make choices in their life. They make choices to delay expenditure that they may 
um, wish to do, for example, investing in their house or buying a car or whatever it might be. Um, but they will they are more likely to prioritize socializing, particularly after all the sort of restrictions of the last few years. And so with the wonderful weather that we've had, you know, our, our pubs on the whole, uh, with their gardens and their coastal locations, have done really quite well. So yes, we're not at full recovery yet, um, but we're in an awful lot better position uh, than we might have been. And clearly very relieved also at the support the government's giving on energy. Yes, I was going to mention that last week, a couple of announcements for, for business last week, uh, the energy announcement, but also the, the mini budget. Um, what were your thoughts on after hearing those? Well, a few weeks ago, we were all very concerned about the three to four times increase in energies, energy for households and for pubs that we were seeing. Uh, and that would have been catastrophic for everyone, uh, completely unsustainable. So like many other governments uh, across Europe, which are facing the same challenges, uh, the government has done, in my view, the right thing to step into the markets and provide that protection. Quite what the details are is still a bit murky, but I think that most businesses and hopefully most households, they will see an increase, but nowhere near the levels of increase that they might have seen otherwise. Um, so I think in that respect, it's welcome. Um, clearly, what the government is trying to do is to keep consumer expenditure going. Um, and uh, in indeed, it might for the short term. Uh, quite what happens medium term with interest rates, etc., uh, I think is probably uh, unclear at this moment in time. But clearly, there are some, there are plenty of things to worry about on the horizon. Yes, indeed. I mean, are you experiencing other increased costs? I mean, a lot of people are saying, you know, just supplies and that have just got so expensive. Yes, um, there is still a huge amount of inflation in the economy. Um, in our case, um, things like pack packaging beer, particularly glass, uh, moving beer around the logistics side or getting products brought to us, hugely expensive. I mean, just uh, way, way higher than anything we've seen before and likely to continue to increase until this energy crisis resolves. So um, there's plenty of challenges, no doubt about it. Um, I think the thing that gives me a bit of optimism is that for now, businesses are still wanting to invest. They're wanting to hire. Uh, there's pretty full employment in the country. Um, uh, wages are going up, but perhaps not quite in line with inflation at this stage. So I think that um, uh, overall, this feels, as of today, very different from other recessionary forces that we've had. Thanks to Jonathan for sharing those details with us today. Not such positive news for another pub chain, though. Weatherspoon have announced one of their pubs in Kent is among dozens that have been put up for sale. Sanokian in Seven Oaks is one of 32 that have gone on the market. The group have described the move as a commercial decision. Kent Online reports. Now, you may remember we told you about this on the podcast on Friday and now staff at a paper mill near Canterbury have revealed how they were left in tears after being told they're lost their jobs. 67 people at the site in Chartham have been made redundant after the business went into administration. Some had been working there for up to 30 years and say the announcement during a meeting came completely out of the blue. You can read this story in full today by heading to the website. Plans have been unveiled for shops and a drive-through on the site of a former drinks factory in Folkestone after the original idea for two hotels fell through. Developers have been looking into the 
potential for the silver spring land on the Park Farm industrial estate. It's not known yet who might move onto the site. More than 200 huge batteries are going to be installed in Thanet to store enough electricity to power over 100,000 homes. Plans to expand Richborough Energy Park across an 11-acre plot of land have been given the go-ahead. Each of the batteries, just to give you some context, is the size of a large shipping container and has a lifespan of around 30 years. In fact, if you head to the website today, you can see pictures of them. We've got some health news for you now, and the people who run the air ambulance that covers Kent could look at using drone technology to get defibrillators to emergencies. Now, the charity has been telling the podcast about its five-year plan to try and reach even more patients across the southeast. David Welch is the Kent, Surrey and Sussex Air Ambulance CEO, and he's been speaking to our reporter, Alex Langridge. We're working very closely with the company and with the Civil Aviation Authority to make sure that this is all done, first of all, safely, which is the most important thing. Um, We have kind of identified, if you like, um, a a heat map of where cardiac arrests take place across the southeast, and there's obviously some some hot spots in in more urban areas. So I think it's about um, once we work through the the pre-work and and the the, the research and the piloting that we need to do, it's about deploying initially probably one drone station in one of these areas uh, that can deliver a a drone within a sort of five-kilometre radius within 10 minutes. Um, and they would simply be they would simply be deployed immediately. The nine 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 call the call was made, and we identified it as a cardiac arrest within that within that radius. Um, it would also be the case that uh, probably an ambulance, land ambulance from the Southeast Coast Ambulance Service would, would be deployed, and or us, depending on the you know the complexity of the situation. But the, the important thing is to get the drone on its way first and get that to the patient's side. So that you know the friend or relative or passerby who's with the patient can use the the defib and, and hopefully save that patient's life. Obviously, you guys are a charity and you do rely on donations. So how are you finding that at the at the moment, sort of with cost of living and the energy crisis? Are you finding donations are still coming in? Yeah, we're 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 doing reasonably well, thank you. I mean, I think um, over the over the kind of last two years during the the height of the COVID pandemic, we actually had our most successful ever years in terms of fundraising. Um, And we really, really value and appreciate the the support that we do get from the communities so, so, so much. And we couldn't deliver the service without that. 86% of our funding uh, comes from uh, from the communities. But I, I think we are, we're both aware and we are seeing it's not, continuing to grow the way it has done over the past couple of years and and we appreciate how difficult this sort of situation is for people so we're very careful and cautious with our fundraising that we're not putting you know any kind of pressure on people it's a voluntary contribution that that people make it's also probably worth remembering that we also do get um over 1.8 million of funding through effectively through the nhs and so they it's not that they don't make a contribution there's a significant contribution that comes in from the nhs as well um, and through our investment income, but primarily we rely on the public. And, and, you know, I think it's been amazing how they have continued to support us. And I'm sure they will going forward because what we're trying to do is be really prudent in the way we, we look at our strategy. We're not going to overcommit until we're confident that we've got the, if you like, the flow of income or in many cases, like the drone project, securing specific funding for these projects that will allow us to push ahead. So it's about being sensible and prudent and being cognizant of the challenges that everyone's facing 
through the cost of living crisis. Last year was the busiest in the Air Ambulance's 32-year history as they responded to more than 3,000 emergencies. Kent Online reports. A hosepipe ban could remain in force in areas around Dartford and Sevenoaks until next year. Thames Water was among several companies to bring in restrictions during one of the driest summers on record. Bosses say recent rainfall hasn't been enough to recover from supply issues. Poundland may be eyeing up a new branch in Medway. The budget chain is advertising roles in Raynham, where it currently doesn't have a store. Now it's thought it could move into the unit at the precinct made vacant by Iceland, which closed earlier this year, although the company say it's not yet confirmed a location. We will, of course, keep you updated. Now, while many of us will be thinking about cost-cutting to save on our energy bills this winter, the podcast has been told we need to make sure we're doing it safely. Kemp Fire and Rescue Service has launched a new campaign giving safety tips for anyone looking for alternative ways to heat their home. It's thought more people will turn to portable heaters, electric blankets and open fires, but that all comes with a risk. Leanne McMahon is from the fire service. We're concerned that um, with everybody feeling the rising cost of living, particularly when it comes to energy, it's about the uh, some of the bits that people might do to try and keep themselves warm. And we want to make sure that people are doing so safely. So we're proactively campaigning about this. So we have a safe, safely roadshow. Um, so it will be quite visible. We come into those places with heavy footfalls. So high streets, hospitals, that kind of thing. So we'll be talking to members of the public about how they can best save safely. Um, So it's around things that they might be using to heat their homes. So we know people, for example, may want to use open fires or log burners or something similar. So it's making sure that your chimney is swept and that the equipment that you're using is regularly checked over. And if you're thinking about using electrical equipment, for example, just doing those checks before you use them. Does it look in good condition? Is there, you know, the wires are in good um, good condition? If it's an electric heater, has it got the feet on it? All those simple things that um, it feels quite simple, but if people don't do them, it does run the risk of people perhaps being unsafe if if they're not careful. Um, so, for example, the use of electric blankets is the wiring okay? Is it is it checked regularly? We see about every year we see about 30% of our fires to deal with electrical fires in the home. And that can be a variety of things that can be from white goods to electric heaters. Yeah, it is a wide variety. And we're anticipating that potentially we might see an increase of that if people start to use more electrical goods to keep themselves warm. Yeah, I think we've all been thinking, haven't we? How how else could we keep warm other than putting the central heating on? And and you know, when you, especially when you see those bill predictions come in, is there a particular item that you're worried about? Perhaps if people are getting old electric blowers or something out of the loft and and plugging them in for the first time in a few years. I mean, is that the sort of thing that's worrying you? Exactly that. So um, the use of electrical goods is uh, it, it's going to be quite common play. We expect to see that. So it's really about making sure that they have a service regularly if it's appropriate to do so. The visual check uh, to make sure that everything is in working condition and, and that you are particularly around sockets, for example, that you're not overloading sockets. So our website actually has a socket check so that you can look on there to see uh, to see whether you are um, loading your sockets uh, correctly, whether there's any risk there at all. And certainly we would advocate if anybody wants any free home fire safety advice, there's always our number that's a free phone number and it's 0800 923 7000. 
uh, we would encourage anybody to give that a call and our website has a wealth of advice. Is there anything else that people could do that perhaps you're a bit worried about? I mean, I know it might sound stupid, but perhaps people bringing in chimeneas from outside or something as ridiculous as that. You might think that would never happen, but I'm sure you've seen it all, haven't you? There is absolutely a risk where people might use what's available to them to keep them warm. So we really would need to make sure that things like patio heaters, as you say, chimeneas, they are outside use. They're, however well ventilated a house is, there are toxic fumes that come from those devices, which is why they are outside devices. We would encourage people to keep them as such. Use the appropriate device for the appropriate area. At Kent Online today, you can see the front of an historic building in Medway and what it looks like now following a major revamp. The Grade 2 listed Georgian mansion known as Chatham House has been transformed thanks to around £200,000 in government funding. Restoration included reinstalling a copy of the original entrance and railings, which were removed in 19. 19- 30. A huge well done today to staff at a news agency in Maidstone who helped save the life of a customer after he had a heart attack. The 86-year-old started to feel chest pains when shopping at KJ's News for You in the Mall. Workers managed to sit him down and dial 999 and he's now recovering after surgery. Well, Cyril Bailey wants to say thank you. I'd just like to personally thank the people. It uh, was... Uh... There on the day that I had it, and uh, they were so efficient, and uh, and everything went smoothly, and I was whipped down to Ashford, and uh, it uh, turned out that uh, I'm still around, thanks to the people that helped me. Do you think that, that they saved your life, potentially? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could have been somewhere and just laid there for 20 minutes, half an hour, and uh, they might have thought I was an old drunk and walked by me. You just don't know with people these days. But uh, I was just in the right place at the right time with the right people. And that's all I can really say. And now I do feel can't really put into words. We do wish Cyril all the very best with his recovery. Police are investigating after Kent's oldest paperboy had his bike stolen. Tony Fagg is 87 and woke up to find it had gone from his garden in Ashford. It's not the first time it's happened either. This is the second time his bike's been taken and his family are urging whoever took it to bring it back. And finally today, a Westmoreland man has missed out on a world record for the most pubs visited in 24 hours after a bright a man beat him to it. Chris Peach was planning to attempt the challenge on Saturday, but a 22-year-old from Sussex managed to visit 67 pubs earlier this month, beating the previous record of 56. Chris has now added more pubs to his route and plans to go to 70 at the end of October. Kent Online Sports. Cricket news for you today and England are back in T20 action later on their tour of Pakistan. The fifth of a seven-match series takes place in Lahore with the sides tied at two-all. Kent's Jordan Cox is in the England squad but has yet to feature in any of their games. And some good news for Kent, they've secured their place in Division 1 for next season. They're currently taking on Somerset in their final game of the season at Canterbury. That's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also get access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site. To do that, you need to subscribe. Just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.
This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.